Hi, welcome back to Her Health MD podcast. Today, I am most excited to have two guests here with me who have extensive experience in maternal mental health care, um, as well as healthcare in general and sharing health information. And I'm going to have them introduce themselves to you and let them let them tell you about their background. And then we'll go ahead and we're just going to have a conversation. Um, so today I have here with me Dr. Amy Roskin and Dr. Nazanin Homifar. Um, so please introduce yourselves. Hi, thanks so much, Dr. Croft. As you mentioned, I'm Dr. Amy Roskin. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Seven Starling. Uh, we're a maternal mental health uh, digital platform. And I'm super happy to have the opportunity to talk with you today. Uh, my clinical background is uh, as a board certified OBGYN, but I'm also certified in perinatal mental health. I've been in private practice for 20 years. I also served as chairman of uh, OBGYN hospital departments, peer review and quality committees. I've always been uh, interested in maternal mental health just as part of uh, caring for my patients. And thanks again for this opportunity. Yeah, I'm, and I'm just curious, tell me about um, the certification in perinatal mental health and, and what, what when you did that and kind of how that affected your your practice and your career in general? Well, you know, it's always been evident, I think, to many um, OBGYNs and people who work in the field how big a problem this is and how mm -hmm. little recognition uh, and attention is paid to it. So I um, was so excited to see these programs where you can actually get certified in these mm -hmm. areas uh, start to be developed. And it involves you know, uh, coursework and training, as well as a certification exam uh, and, you know, follow up to maintain that certification. And it's just felt wonderful to be around like-minded people who are interested in solving these problems and in, you know, finally getting the attention for this very common, very treatable condition. So I found it like really impactful to be able to go through that training. It really reinforced a lot of things. And, you know, I learned, you know, many new things just about how this area of research is uh, and treatment is currently developing. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, it must have been very, a very um, great thing to delve into and, and to carry forward and as you move forward and try new things and develop new things. Yes, it just kind of helps frame things. You know, you have a whole new framework for how we talk about maternal mental health, uh, mm -hmm. how we diagnose it, how we treat it, and, you know, just really how we start to destigmatize this. Um, you know, I think we'll probably mm -hmm. cover this more later, but in some statistics show that almost 85% of people with this condition don't end up getting treated for it, which is, mm -hmm. you know, so tragic. tragic. It impacts so many lives. Um, and it's such a common complication. And again, very diagnosable, very treatable. So yeah. um, that's really, um, you know, part of, you know, why we do what we do, uh, both Dr. Homafar and myself. Yeah, that's huge. And Dr. Homafar, tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, thanks for having us on the podcast, Dr. Groff. I'm a board certified OB-GYN. I've been practicing for about 10 years and um, I, 
knew that I've always wanted to do more than just clinical medicine. I pursued my MBA before I started residency. I've been very lucky to work with some very um, wonderful women's digital health startups and have done a lot of work with patient education. And um, I was I, I joined Seven Starling about two, two and a half years ago now. And it really, because the topic of women's mental health was very near and dear to me. I've had personal experiences that I think helped me realize how much of an impact it can have and, and what the onset can be like. And um, the more I've worked with Seven Starling, the more um, I've, I feel like I've become better attuned and able to address the needs of my patients. I think our field, um, obstetrics and gynecology, is so entwined with mental health. And, and there are so many things unique to women's mental health and our reproductive life cycles that I think we don't really get the training for in residency. And it's really been, for me, it's been um, a journey post my training to learn how best to um, identify you know, mental health concerns uh, in, in different stages of women's lives and how to talk about it and how to, to manage it. So I have found, um, I think in the past two and a half years, I've, I've become even better in my ability to, to work with my patients and their mental health needs. And, and I love that. Oh, that yes. Sterling has helped, <laughs> has helped facilitate that. That's amazing. And it, I really think that that's an important thing that you mentioned is like, we often, we come out of residency and we may not really feel super prepared for this aspect, but the day, the minute you walk in the exam room, um, the mind and body are so connected that, I mean, it, it, you may see a patient who's presenting with concerns that are physical, but that doesn't mean that the mental, psychosocial, that all these other components aren't also a driving force. Um, and so you can't really parse it out or just look at one without the other. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I just, for my own background, I would say I, I've always been really um, passionate about mental health. My little known secret is like my first plan was maybe I would be a psychologist, but then that didn't work out. So I, my second choice was medicine, but I did, <laughs> I did come at it from a background of behavioral health and an undergrad degree in psychology. And so I've always been really, really passionate about um, the fact that our minds and bodies are so connected and that we can't really overlook this and take care of our whole, our whole patient. I was going to uh, say to that point, Dr. Graf, you don't even need to be diagnosed with a condition to have concerns about your mental health, too. I think that's even aside from diagnosing people, we see it all the time in our field where whether it's a first pregnancy, whether it's the beginning stages of perimenopause or um, talking to someone about their menstrual cycles, you realize how mood changes can affect someone and, and giving them the tools and the words to talk about it and, and, and drawing that connection to the mind, um, you know, that mind-body connection can be so helpful in, in, in helping them understand how to, how to think about their own health. So, yeah, you're really right about that. I mean, 
Um, it just makes me think about the fact that there's the the code it worried well. Sometimes people come in and they're they're actually fine, but like they have concerns and worries, and and this all kind of needs to be addressed. It doesn't mean that they have an anxiety disorder. It doesn't mean that they have something going on physically, but they need education and understanding about their bodies. And so, I mean, there's just there's just so much there. And and also, I think to speak to just that background with like wanting to educate patients and educate people about um, health and body. And we get such limited time in the actual exam room, but being able to be educated with accurate evidence-based information is so helpful because if you know what's normal and what's not normal or what what's, you know, we have all these changes and transitions as women and these hormonal fluctuations that are totally normal. It's not a blood test that needs to be sent off to check your hormones. No, they shift, they, but, and your moods naturally will go up and down with that. And if you kind of know about that, sometimes you, you do need help and, and sometimes you don't, but being able to have the education in that is so important. Yeah, I agree. And it's also about giving people the tools for how they will be able to cope with these transitions, with these different feelings. And when we stop thinking of necessarily things fitting into a diagnosis, but really think about the whole concept of wellness, but certainly, you know, give ourselves the grace to extend that to our mental wellness as well. And then I think you do see, once we have the tools and the education for dealing with this, I, I think it has a lot of use as a preventive measure too. Just like we have all kinds of preventive strategies to you know, prevent cardiac problems, to prevent high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, I think we can go much further in how we maintain our mental health and res resiliency there as well. Absolutely. I mean, prevention is huge with just recognition and education. Um, so tell me a little bit based on this kind of postpartum depression and sort of um, just for our audience, kind of how you diagnose it and and common ways to treat it. And, and along those lines, postpartum anxiety or other similar kind of things that we may see. I think um, just to briefly talk about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. So ones that are related to pregnancy and postpartum, we know that they can affect up to one in five pregnant people or postpartum people. Sometimes some studies show that it's it's a higher number, but um, we have validated screening tools. So we have the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Scale, the EPDS is what it's abbreviated as, or the PHQ-9 or GAD-7. These are all validated surveys. So research, they've been studied and they help us based on the number um, that you would get by by completing the screen, giving us giving providers a sense of whether or not someone is at risk of something like anxiety or depression. Um, generally, at least when we're talking about people and who are pregnant or postpartum, we the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends that we screen frequently, ideally every trimester and at six weeks postpartum. I generally, I think if I if I note someone is expressing symptoms that are a little bit concerning and it's been a while since they've been screened, I'll just pull it up on my computer in the office and and screen them right there. Um, but we would use the screen to give us a sense if someone um, is at at risk of of um, 
anxiety or depression. Of course, when we think about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, it runs the gamut. There's bipolar is one that's really underdiagnosed. Um, then you have conditions like postpartum psychosis or obsessive compulsive disorder. These are all much rarer compared to depression and anxiety. And there are some validated surveys to to help screen for those, but I would generally say most people are going to rely on a reproductive psychiatrist or a psychiatrist to use those screens to help diagnose someone. Um, for, then, the, um, for, for the screening for the more- OCD or yeah, yeah less, yes, less gotcha. common mood, um, mood conditions right that makes sense but and but for this for the common and for the edinburgh and the gad um for our patients i mean what that basically looks like is that you hopefully we hope will be asked to fill out just basically a brief survey every couple of months while you're being seen um and that's going to just sort of be assessing your your moods to see if you're feeling down or if you're feeling anxious and maybe just a chance, your, your doctor will have a chance if it looks like there's a couple more checks than we would expect um, for somebody who's sailing through pregnancy without an issue or postpartum, that, that that will probably start a conversation. Absolutely. And I think one thing, I know this wasn't one of the questions, but one thing, Dr. Groff, that I would say is so important to remember is I know I'm focusing right now on pregnancy and postpartum, but it's really important to remember that we don't live in a bubble of our health conditions. And sometimes um, when we ask people about their prior medical history or, or their, their mental health is a really important history to bring up. Because I think, especially when you come see an obstetrician gynecologist, we might not immediately ask about your history of mental health conditions, right? Because most people think that we're most interested in knowing about something related to the menstrual cycle or their, their, you know, their pregnancy history. But right, yeah. bringing up your mental health to any of your providers is really important. But specifically, I would say primary care providers and obstetrician gynecologists, because if you have a history of a mental health condition, you are far more likely to be at risk for developing one in pregnancy and postpartum. And if your provider can know this ahead of time, they can help do more screening, talk to you about it, make sure you're building up the support team you need to, to help you avoid a crisis kind of situation and to focus more on the prevention. Yeah. So true. I love that. And I think, and, and this is a little bit off topic, but um, when it comes to even like documenting when you're outside of pregnancy, documenting like menstrual cycles, people have their apps and they keep track, but they don't often put like mood related symptoms in. But but then I'll see pa a lot of patients who really have an uptick in, in mood related symptoms at certain parts in their cycle. So even outside of pregnancy and postpartum, like remembering that your body, the interplay there between your body and your mind and your moods and, and there may be a cycle to it. It's so important. Yeah. Very yeah. important to bring up. But yeah, screening is, is so important. <laughs> so thank you for kind of explaining that. Um, 
what do you think about uh yeah so in terms of uh, treatments for um during pregnancy um and postpartum um you know tell me a little bit about the like typical treatment for depression or anxiety or like the more common um mood related changes that we can see all right, so uh, good news is there are a number of different strategies that work well. Uh, for example, therapy can be very effective. Uh, there are different modalities or different types of therapy. Um, some people may have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, for example, and that's been shown to be quite effective and have very good results. Um, some patients uh, find medication really helpful in managing symptoms. Um, that's a discussion that you know needs to involve, of course, the provider and medications that are used can depend on whether someone is uh, pregnant or not, um, but there are many uh, different types of medications that can be utilized. Um, at Seven Starling, for example, we offer individual therapy, group therapy, and holistic medical management. I think a supportive environment can be so impactful for people. Uh, this can be from partners, loved ones, family, and friends. So many people going through this feel isolated and alone, like they're the only one. Uh, so I think support uh, yeah. from people going through similar struggles can be really powerful. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and drawing back to that whole mind-body connection, having somebody just like, let you get a little bit of rest if you're overtired or you know somebody just to reassure you that you know what's going baby crying is so normal or you know these kind of just supportive people in your life to just give you a break um it can be helpful absolutely um and i also the other thing is that um during pregnancy, you know, I think there's, a, I find, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested what you think. I find that a lot of times people are reluctant to get treatment because they're afraid that it's not safe with the pregnancy. But, and, and of course, therapy isn't, I mean, that's fine. They can certainly do that, although I know that can be tricky, which is one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of Seven Starling in terms of just creating access for the therapy that is hard to get. Um, but even, you know, if medications are needed, I just encourage people to talk to their doctors because there are, yeah, sure, there's some risks there and we don't want to say that it's without any risk, but when somebody's suffering significantly from a mental health issue, um, their body's under a lot of stress and that can affect the pregnancy. So treatment can really actually be quite helpful. Well, I think that's a great point. I've, people don't always think about the alternative of not taking medication when you need it. And as mm -hmm. you mentioned, I mean, it is an important subject to discuss with your provider, but there are many medications now that have a, we have a history of using as needed uh, mm -hmm. when people are pregnant. And so I think you'll also have to weigh the issues and the risks of not treating it. And that's true right. of any other medical condition in pregnancy. You know, there are many times where people need medication for, you know, blood pressure, other issues that come up. And mm -hmm. I just am glad to see that we're starting to take mental health conditions seriously, that we will make these same reasonable calculations as to when someone would really benefit from medication. So oh, yeah, I, I think if people can do well without medication, with therapy, mm -hmm fantastic but and that's great and people do but 
I don't, I think people should be aware that there are medications that are effective and can be utilized and can be really helpful in the right situations. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that and say that I, I think, you know, some studies show that therapy, whether it's talk therapy, therapy or CBT can be effective in treating symptoms for up to 50% of people. That's really great. And I think I, one thing about therapy, I, I do think when it comes to mental health, for some people, it can be hard because you don't know how long the symptoms will last or if this is the new normal. I find that people's lives are busy and they might not be able to, might not feel like they can make time for something else. They can't add anything on their plate. And I think it's really important to hear that, again, your mental health does not live in a bubble. There are long-term impacts. And I think one of some of the newer research is showing the, in, the adverse impact of untreated mental health on the people outside of your life. So not just on the individual, but also on, on the other family members. So we have really good data to suggest that, you know, untreated maternal mental health can has, have adverse impacts on children and uh-huh. their development. And we right. know untreated mental health in pregnancy has been associated with higher risks of other pre, uh, pregnancy comorbidities like preterm labor, preterm delivery, small for gestational age, preeclampsia. So this is not meant to scare people. I don't want people, you know, but I, but I think it's important to realize that your mental health ha- has ripple effects on the rest of your health, which is why it's so important to bring up symptoms and and try a therapy if it's if you find that you're not feeling better. And when it comes to medication, um, I think we have been so afraid to treat people in pregnancy. You know, like people, it feels like they, you know, they want to. When it comes to any medication, mm-hmm. we always yeah. get we always get questions from other some from other providers and other specialties. Is something right. safe? We have great data to suggest that treating maternal mental health is very safe and is recommended. And if I have, I tell my patients, if you are with a doctor who says you should not be on SSRIs for your mental health in pregnancy or postpartum, you need to see someone else because that person is not practicing evidence-based medicine. Not everyone needs to be on medication to treat their mental health. But we know that there are very clear indicators. If someone's EPDS or GAD7 or PHQ9 is very high, there's a good chance that therapy is not going to be enough and that they might need to try some medication as well. And I, and I just, and this is an individual conversation um, that people need to have with their providers. But I think it's very important that people know that medications are safe to take in pregnancy. And yeah, postpartum. You're so right. And I mean, what do you have you heard this or experienced it where patients are taken off of medications near their due date? Have you? I mean, I've all the time. Case, and yeah. I, I think it's surprising. That's I all. so our um, where I work in Northern Virginia, I know the NICU has now so. Let me let me back up by saying we know medications are safe. 
We know that people who have been on certain medications at certain dosages for a certain length of time, that their babies may be affected by neonatal abstinence syndrome, which is a spectrum of, of signs or symptoms a, a baby can um, demonstrate when it's born. It doesn't tend to be dangerous, but it might be something that needs closer follow-up. So I think depending on where you live, what the guidelines are for the neonatal intensive um, intensive care unit at the hospital, that there might be closer monitoring for certain patients. And I think like um, where I practice, when patients have been on an SSRI in pregnancy, there is an additional person in the room when the baby is born to do a quick assessment. I think patients should know about that mm -hmm. you know, I agree. before Absolutely. their experience, but I don't think that should dissuade them from utilizing the medication if they need it. If they feel better, of course they don't need to be on the medication, right? But I also right. think coming for many people nearing delivery, nearing postpartum where you're entering a state of less sleep, which we know is going to affect your mood, that might that would put me a little bit on higher alert that we're setting them up for, you know, a worsened perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. But if they feel really good off their medications, mm -hmm. sure, you can yeah. come off. But I don't think you need to come off of them just because you're near delivery. In fact, you might need it even more closer to delivery and postpartum. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I always worry that it's just a high need time. So a, a joint decision making is always key, I think, right? Like that, that, that Absolutely. You, you and your doctor make that decision together. But I think it's important not to feel pressured to come off because delivery alone, if symptoms are controlled, but not gone, and we're anticipating this kind of intense change and shift, um, so, so I find it interesting, but yeah, for sure. Anytime somebody is like improving and doing better it, that then reassessment makes sense. Agreed. Yeah. It, tell us about seven starling and, um, and the program and, and how you sort of what gaps you were noticing and how, how seven starling is filling these gaps. Of course. Uh, thanks. Well, treatment gaps are really common here and so are diagnosis and screening gaps. A recent statistic was that less than 20% of people were screened by their OBGYNs in the office. So one thing we do at Seven Starling is try to work directly with OBGYNs to get people screened. If people need follow-up care, it can be really hard to access. I think access to care is a huge issue. Um, and we hear at Seven Starling all the time about how difficult it is to find qualified healthcare providers who are familiar with and focused on perinatal mental health. Uh, we have providers who are experienced and dedicated to providing care uh, for these conditions and for this group. Um, in terms of other gaps uh, that lead to people not being able to obtain care, I mean, it's challenging to find someone who's in network. Um, so this is definitely something we think about in terms of trying to improve access. So at Seven Starling, we work with all of the major insurance plans. Finally, there are really so many issues about actually getting to the appointments. I mean, it's hard to find a few minutes, no less sure, a few yeah. hours, you know, to get uh, to a medical appointment or to a therapy session. And this is where I think telehealth has made an enormous impact 
and allowing yeah. people to get yeah. care in the way that's most comfortable and most convenient for them. Um, at Seven Starling, we also you know, have a holistic team approach. Uh, people are given a care team that includes a patient advocate to make sure there's no issues getting to their telehealth appointments. Um, it also includes a therapist as well as a medical provider because we really want to treat uh, the whole person. I think um, going back, Allison, to screening yeah. and why yeah. and, and if people are getting screened, I think in our conversations with providers and, and just talking to people um, in my community, it, you know, it's, it's hard to screen for something when you don't have a way to help someone with their symptoms. If you're living in a place where yeah. you have limited access to therapists, where you don't know if someone screens positive, how you can tangibly help them. And we know we have huge gaps in our ability to treat mental health in this country, let alone women's mental health. As Dr. Roskin showed, like she has a special certification in perinatal mental health. And that's because it's very different than, than other types of mental health. And it's really important to be able to work with someone who understands that this is there are going to be nuances on how you manage the symptoms and 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 what the concerns are. So I think what I love that Seven Sterling is doing is is focusing very much on women's mental health and that reproductive life cycle and and making sure that the therapists one are are widely available. I think mm -hmm. as as Dr. Austin mentioned, the telehealth aspect is really helpful for some people who can't leave their homes or, you know, are in the midst of something really hard and asking them to get up and leave and go somewhere far is, is not feasible. Um, mm -hmm. But also right. it gives with, with increasing access to therapy, I think more people are going to also feel comfortable screening their patients and making sure that they're identifying um, perinatal mood and anxiety disor disorders earlier on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we had, I mean, before having a referral to Seven Starling and um, Seven Starling it is uh, focused on maternal mental health. We also have another, I think, um, telehealth mental health service for our patients outside of maternal range that we can refer to. But before having these services, um, basically I just had a list that I gave to my patients, a piece of paper with, with therapists on them. Some of many of whom may not take their insurance, um, might not be a convenient time to go or a place to go, or just might not be accepting new patients. And so um, that's, that is a huge barrier because then when I have patients that are waiting to get into therapy, I mean, I'll see them regularly and check in on them. But, you know, the ability of any individual doctor to do that or the time and the schedule, it just becomes challenging and people shy away from screening. I completely agree with you because of that. Um, and then I did want to mention for uh, just for our listeners, you know, I always think about you know, it's not just people aren't just listening for themselves. They're listening for their sisters, their best friends, their mothers, their daughters. So, um, you know, Seven Starling is nice because you can, uh, we can refer our patients, but they can self-refer. If you know somebody who's struggling, I mean, they have to, they're certain, not in every, you guys aren't in every state, but if you know somebody who's struggling, who's in one of the states that Seven Starling covers, 
you can give them the website and they can just like log in and enter their information and then they'll get an appointment like within a day or two they can get an intake assess like to get going with that i think right how many Absolutely. states are you and how many states are you guys in now uh we're in five six and growing rapidly yeah so we're prepared and preparing uh to go into more and more states uh another really important piece of the access puzzle right yeah so what states are you in i'm in maryland so i know you're in maryland yes we're in <laughs> maryland I'm very happy about. uh we're in maryland we're in uh washington dc uh, virginia new york uh, texas uh nevada, nevada pennsylvania nice perfect <laughs> other states are rolling out in the Absolutely. future I love it. I think it's great. I think it's so important. Um, one more thing I wanted to bring up from earlier was um, just kind of the stigma. There was a you mentioned stig the stigma. Do you what do you think about the stigma? Do you feel like it's getting better for mental health? Do you feel like it's still a pretty big cloud hanging over people who are noticing mood changes and not and making them reluctant to reach out? I I think it is true, and I think. Both things are true, actually. There's still so much stigma around these conditions, but fortunately, and thanks again for bringing this subject to light today, the yeah. more we talk about it, that does help to reduce stigma. But many people still don't seek care because of shame and embarrassment around their symptoms. But um, as we've discussed, it's a common condition and it can be diagnosed yeah. and treated effectively. And so we really have to work to reduce stigma so people feel comfortable getting the care they need and deserve for their, themselves, their children, and their, their families. Absolutely. So I, would add, I would add to that too, that um, I think with social media, there's been so many more people that have been open about their journeys with mental health. And I think I would say across women's health in general, like in the past few years, the amount of conversation that we've been able to have about miscarriage, infertility, menopause, you know, mental health, it's, there's been a huge change in our, um, in our willingness to discuss the symptoms and not only is our, you know, our generationally people becoming more open to it. We know that people are putting more focus on it. The White House um, has, has, has put tremendous resources recently into addressing the maternal health crisis of which maternal mental health is one of it. Let's be clear, you know, the leading cause of death postpartum is suicide in this country. Yeah. That's huge. Right. So, yes, there's still a stigma, but this is a big issue that we need to tackle. And I think the more we can give people the tools to talk about it, the more that we can get providers comfortable, you know, teaching more frontline workers how to address and have the conversations with their patients, not just relying on our psychologists and our psychiatrists to have these conversations the better we're going to be at being able to address it. And I'll put in a plug um, with Seven Starling every other month, we have a, um, a webinar that, um, that focuses on a topic in women's mental health. And it's meant, it's a 30 minute webinar and it's meant to give providers basic pearls around mental health. So we'll talk about SSRIs and which one you can, um, you know, which ones you can, 
utilize in pregnancy and postpartum. We'll do a deep dive into bipolar disorder in women or postpartum psychosis. So if anyone wants some extra training, of course, there's the certification that's offered by Postpartum Support International. Is that correct, Dr. Oskin? It's PSI? Yeah. Okay, great. Just making sure. Or, but there's also other ways that people can get this education. And if they want to join, you know, with Seven Sterling, we have a monthly newsletter and a every other month webinar um, just to get some pearls. And I think for me, what I've taken from the webinars too is in talking to um, Dr. Crystal Clark, who is a, uh, is a reproductive psychiatrist, are just ways to start the conversation so that so that our patients can at least, you know, let us know if they're having any conditions that that would then facilitate us making the right referrals. Absolutely, it's so important, and and just uh, all those conditions you mentioned and our willingness to talk about them—that's exactly what this her health MD is all about—is just getting this conversation going, and and people want to talk about it. That's what we that's what we want to do. And just one more question. Um, along, I think you already kind of touched on some of this, but like, what would you like to see sort of more long-term, like future for maternal mental health? Like, are there any main goals or things that you're hoping to see over the next coming years? Um, I think mainly of three things, and we've touched, I think, on all of them. Uh, first would be increased awareness. And again, that's one of the things we're doing here today. Um, but perinatal mental health conditions are the number one complication of pregnancy, of pregnancy. So we need to talk about it. We need to talk about solutions. Uh, I think by discussing these things, people find out more information and they don't feel so isolated. Uh, second thing would be increased access. Uh, people need to be able to get in to see a specialized provider quickly. I mean, we don't accept this kind of delay in other areas of medicine. I mean, if you're having chest pain or a high fever, if you can't walk through to severe knee pain, yeah. I mean, we manage these conditions urgently and people get seen quickly. And right. I think we have to put that same urgency around maternal mental health and remove barriers to access. Um, we need to meet people where they are so they can get care at a convenient time and place and at an affordable cost. And the third one we touched on was uh, to decrease stigma. And I think um, we are doing a lot of good work in this area. Um, and I think we have a long way to go, but we've also come very far pretty fast. So I'm glad to see that. Yeah, that's that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If I could, if I could just focus on one area, because I think everything Dr. Roskin said is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And for me, it would be helping train our next generation of OB-GYN residents to better recognize mental health in women's health. So if we can, just like we need to do more work in getting people prepared to talk about menopause, I think the same is true for mental health in, in the different reproductive stages um, of a woman's life. And I would love to see better uh, increase focus on that training and education and residency. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it has to start for us who are seeing the patients. It really has to be something that from day one, when we get in that exam room, it's on our minds. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been a great conversation. It's such an important topic. Like we just need it just the start of the conversation to keep go keep going throughout our community and 
what you guys are doing at Seven Starling is amazing. So <laughs> keep expanding and, and improving this access. And thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks. It's a pleasure. It feels it's always really great to to work with colleagues who also recognize its importance. I think there's so many of us out there wanting to improve it and coming together and talking about the solutions always feels very uplifting. Yeah, sure does.